The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. guys this is Cameron Fry with His Girl Friday coming at you Thursday night March 24th hope you guys are doing well enjoying the Ides of March the Rides of March whatever they may be to you whether it's a lamb or a lion I know that it's been a roller coaster of a month within a roller coaster of a season for me Uh, but seeing the silver linings and everything certainly has been a plus so I, I come to you in good spirits and of good mind and wish you the very best uh before we jump into tonight, uh, which is going to be a return to the Power in the Mud series, before we discuss some healing habits of Jesus, I just want to give you a quick life update in a couple, in two minutes or less. Uh, Juby's doing well. Um, part of the reason why this month has been rough is because we started the month feeling a piece about the direction she needed to go, receiving a tracheostomy. And, uh, you know, last month the theme was extubation attempts. And them not going according to plan. And we turned the calendar, we turned the page into March, and we talked with her, with the top doc, docs in Vanderbilt, and they were just like, yeah, we really think that she, she has great potential for uh, quality of health as she gets to three, four years old, but it's just too grand of a process to risk another extubation attempt. We don't see the wisdom in that. We prayed on it and we agreed with them and we were just like, okay, we'll just, we'll learn how to um, abide as parents, learn the rhythms, the processes, the procedures involving trach replacements and how to house proof, <laughs> how to even upgrade our vehicle to uh, compensate for the changes that are coming the next three to six months. So prayers appreciated as we learn to adapt to a whole new lifestyle, uh, but just, you know we can't get so distraught or so anxious about the cart before the horse, so to speak. We need to get Juby at a place where she can receive the tracheostomy, and so that's that's the current big picture prayer point for us. So thank you for those who are aware. Um, we have a Juju NICU journey page on our on Facebook that Lissa really does a great job of tending and shepherding uh, that community. We're almost up to 400 people now. It's crazy. Uh, we definitely have a tribe of prayer warriors uh, on social media. So we're very excited about that. If you want to find out more, again, just type Juju NICU Journey and you should find it. Uh, and you could request an invite. It is a private group uh, due to the personal information involved, but that doesn't mean you can't get in there and discover more for yourself what's going on. So it's a big part of what drives the series. Again, I share that not just as random context. It's really more anecdotal to the topics at hand that we've been talking about this year. We talked about part one, power in the mud, why Jesus used saliva when performing miracles involving the senses and how like even the inspiration for that post was just a simple uh, miracle healing of Jesus book I was reading to Juju uh, two months ago. And I got the wheels turning. It's just like, I really want to dive deeper into the why Jesus did certain things, uh, not just during the moments of healing, but surrounding them. And last time we talked about just how, you know, it, it wasn't so much a part of the series, but why Jesus collects our tears, uh, that message in a bottle post. 
kind of broke away from the post pattern, but we're returning back to part two, Power in the Mud, The Healing Habits of Jesus. Part one, uh, why Jesus uses spit to heal, that link is at the top of the post. But again, tonight we're exploring spiritual rhythms of Jesus in situations when miracles manifested, manifested, I should say. Because truth is, for many of us, walking through the valley, for us, it's been this NICU journey, but for you, it could be totally different. We all walk through valleys at different points. Perhaps some of you listening to this right now, you find yourself feeling more in a pit of sorts, and you're just waiting for someone to help you out, or you're just trying to figure out, you're trying to, you know, draw up a game plan, how you're going to get yourself out of there. For us, it's like, it really is Psalm 18 through 26, you know, those passages, Psalms, where the scenery describes actually quite beautiful. We think of a valley, we're like, ugh, why do I want to be there? Let's, let's, let's get to the mountain part. Let's start scaling that. That's kind of how we're wired, but the descriptors in the Psalms regarding valley is actually kind of beautiful, but it's also uncomfortable. There's also, you know, with valley, just like you, you feel forsaken sometimes. You feel like you're stuck in some capacity. You're in this bowl surrounded by what you're intimidated by, what you think you can't scale or what you, know, you can't conquer. So, and there's a lot of metaphors, but, you know, there's been a lot of lushness in the valley that we're in. We've seen a lot of, like, you know, the goodness in people's hearts, the benevolence, the compassion, wink, wink, foreshadowing. Uh, we've seen some of the best in people, despite the heartaches and griefs. Case in point, you know, I was looking for someone who might be able to cut our lawn while we're spending more time at the NICU going through the tracheostomy coursework. Someone caught wind of our story off our, the uh, local town hip Facebook page found my profile, kind of got drawn in, found our story, um, discovered more about our story through our wall, and was willing to give just an extremely generous discount on his rate, his lawn cutting, weeding, and um, landscaping rate. So, so it just goes to show you, like, people are, we're bound in certain ways. We have similar stories and seasons we walk through that we can relate to one another, and it gets really powerful when we connect the dots of those stories and seasons with random acts of kindness, uh, strangers that become friends through grace and compassion and humility, uh, and even transparency and vulnerability in some cases. So, the valley, we need to embrace those valleys in our lives as we wait for healing and physical breakthrough. To me, there's more hours in valleys. Like when you type the, the hours of your life, I'd imagine for most of us, the valley hours are going to be greater than the mountain hours or the scaling of the mountain hours. There's going to be spiritual warfare, daily positioning of our hearts during those valley seasons as opposed to tending miracles in the moment and their aftermath for that reason. We so want to get to the good stuff, the this, this sweet spot, the center of the Tootsie Roll. Or sorry, the cinnamon roll, I should say. But that the apex of a cinnamon roll, it's just, you know, it's sugary goodness. It's the high of the bun, but there's more, there's a journey to get there. If you eat the cinnamon roll right, <laughs> there's more layers that you have to go through to get to that point. My dad loves that metaphor. I, I have learned to love it as well, so I use it at times, so...
When handling immediate call to action, we have to learn to rely on God, develop, you know, developing that spiritual muscle. They are important, those calls to action. But my hope with this post is to help us not only find the incarnation, God with us, in the ordinary, but also in the anticipation of the extraordinary. Rather than limit God's power to defining moments, which are amazing in and of themselves, why not take heart and delight as He makes our path straight, as He establishes our steps even, bore, even before we're called to walk on them? So for those waiting for healing and physical breakthrough, in seasons of suffering, anguish, whatever, this really is a post to pay attention to. And there's going to be some vocational tie-ins because, again, we are ministering to a marketplace minister audience in which we continue to discover how almost everybody, in fact, everybody has a way to relate to what it is to be a vocational or a marketplace minister in some capacity. But that's a different talk for a different day. For now, here are three basic routines we can employ to set our hearts during gradual recoveries and ahead of divine interventions. So the first point, time your breakaways. We're going to camp out at Luke 5 a little bit here to start out. As much as Jesus ministered in person, we note when we really drill down by sect the Gospels, we note Jesus also devoted daily time with God to reinforce connection. Luke 5 is a classic demonstration of this. After calling his disciples at Gennesaret, miraculously filling the nets at Galilee, the first miracle with fish, and then healing a leper at a neighboring city, we find the punchline in verse 16. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray in seclusion. Hmm. Now, you might be thinking, why would Jesus isolate and withdraw when many others were drawing near to him for healing as well, you see that pattern. Jesus, he would definitely heal in the, you know, within the masses sometimes, but a lot of times he would heal solo style, one-on-one style. He would tell the person he healed why he healed them. Here's what you do. He would give him some instructions who to tell how to purify yourself even. Uh, sometimes... Part of the instruction was, don't tell anyone. I don't want to draw attention to myself. It's like if Jesus was already in that place of ministering and teaching the masses, he understood, okay, the people here, they understand the, the, you know, why I'm here, the message I'm trying to convey. I will heal almost like it's within a certain service flow. But there are other moments when he didn't want to create a scene or a spectacle of himself where it's just he became a magician or a sorcerer, just bam, 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 bam. I'm going to heal all these people and they're not, they have no idea uh, of who I am and who's healing them, let alone just the life change. You know, I, I came to have a relationship with man. Again, find the incarnation and just also just Jesus' father heart of love. And he followed that. And that's sort of Part of the point in this one, like time your breakaways, find time to spend with God each and every day. Don't be scared to isolate for a little bit. There's a good type of withdrawal. That's part of what I want you to see is Jesus knew when to run, when to reference the Father. On the go, yes, but there were times where it's like he had to go, not just on the go, but go 
find that safe place where no one knew where he was, maybe apart from his disciples, but he would isolate and withdraw when many others were drawn near to him. And it seems like, Jesus, why have to be so heartless? But he knew what he was doing. I don't think he lost sight of the people he needed to heal. Like, that's why it's just like, God, I'm sure there was a lot of whiteboarding moments between Jesus and God in his quiet times. And whenever I look at that, it's like, mm, I want some of that in my own life more consistently. You see, Jesus at any point knew exactly who needed the expedite healing to further his name and power without attracting unnecessary attention. And from a practical, even vocational standpoint, we can applaud this maneuvering from a time management and facilitative perspective. For Jesus not only wanted to heal the affirmity in the moment, but plant seeds of testimony capable of encouraging communities of his presence after the fact. See the scripture, see the prayer and how God operated, how Jesus operated, I should say. He never lost sight of the end game. It was more than just what he was doing in the moment, but he so loved the, the person or the people he was ministering to and healing he, he, was, he wanted to make sure that they knew this is what I came to do. I am God's son. I've come to set you free from bondage, from pain and affliction, from these shackles, these chains that have just been draped over your life. I've come to set you free from those because I'm a God of love and I so want you to know me in full to experience that fullness of life that's part of your original design but again to know that I'm not just here to heal you I'm here to have a relationship with you forever I'm not here to in the moment open your eyes but so that you can use those this new perspective for the rest of your days to go and do likewise and that's what blows me away when I look Read some of these gospel stories. It's like there's these new layers and these new depths that I noticed before. So it was more just the moment, but planting seeds of testimony capable of encouraging community of his presence, leading people to him. You know, Jesus was like, here, let me make you a disciple maker. Um, this is the start. Like you're almost in the, um, the prologue before your life's journey gets started. Here's how, you know, here's where... <laughs> I hope you can go when you start laying hands on people someday and you pray, Father, have mercy. Restore what needs to be restored, dot, dot, dot. This is why Jesus often, again, told the ex-afflicted where to go, who to tell, and from there would move to his next location. Jesus was very intentional. Uh, See Luke 5, 17, 26. Don't lose sight of Jesus' intentionality throughout this post and pod. I mean, he he had an agenda, but he wasn't bound to it. He didn't live by it. The agenda was not his God, and we can go forth and learn from that. No matter the juncture, Jesus had the ultimate end game in mind, which was to inspire people to his love through an awareness of their original design and also an alignment to their external design as co-heirs with Christ. Just to sum up some of the last few minutes. And while I'm sure Jesus had a master itinerary, partly secured through his quiet times, Jesus never lost touch with that incarnation, the fact he could not be everywhere at once and by proxy could not heal everyone at once despite his divine DNA. He was just as much man as he was divine. But he was still bound by 
time. The the things that we often are just like, oh man, there's just not enough hours in the day. He, He felt that. Jesus didn't just feel our sadness and our pain and the temptation to sin, but he felt, you know, he had a body that needed rest that knew like, okay, this is the time that this needs to happen. Sometimes we forget how, you know, we, we minimize the flesh part of the incarnation. We get caught up in the Son of God. And that's great, but Jesus loved being a Son of Man. It's like, I am with you, I'm among you in this time of which I'm healing you, but I'm also God's Son. You know, this is, this is just but a vapor of the real thing that is to come and what I'm leading you to ultimately. So... Again, what mattered to Jesus was activating active faith within a balanced boundaries. I mean, look at the passage before, Luke 4, 38 through 44. I'm not going to talk about it, but it's just their strategies confirmed in his breakfast with the Father. And there, there was that Ecclesiastes 3 vibe in all this. Just, there's a time for everything and a purpose for that timing. So, But the bottom line for us here is look at Jesus. From post uh, pre- and post-service dialings to timely retreats, Jesus knew exactly when to engage when to heal and when to reposition, refresh with God, the ministry of reconciliation always before him. Point number two, when in doubt, pray. When we explore Jesus' quiet times more intimately, we find Jesus essentially uh, writing the book on 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 through 19, which says, Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Now to be fair, Paul is the actual author here. However, such inspiration, no question came from how Christ modeled his prayer routines. You could look, you know, we're going to bounce around the Gospels here, but you could look at Luke 22, 39 through 40. Jesus went up the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. His disciples followed him. He told them, when in doubt, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Luke 6, 12 through 19, it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12 also named apostles. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of disciples in a great multitude. And he started healing their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out from him and healed them all. A lot of delicious closets in that passage. The mountain to pray, continued all night. I bolded that. Again, the timing and the intentionality coming together at key moments uh, before healing took place. There was a setup. And that's, again, the setup. The context for these healings is what grips me. Now, this isn't to say you must deprive yourself of rest to fully press in. However, these cases are clear indicators of how we're to cope when we're desperate and or discouraged. Think of it this way. What is insanity in the midst of chaos and crisis? Quite frankly, it's not praying, at least to me. At the very least, acknowledge who God is into a given situation and watch as fear fades in the face of scaled perspective. Again, for, for prayer to be anchored as habit, the practice must be anchored in consistency and intentionality. Jesus literally gave himself out during the business of his ministry days to hear what his father had to say. How much more should we embrace the call to do likewise? Bottom line, Jesus' lifestyle defines solitude 
as praying with God and embracing that opportunity to vertically rely on Him. Last point, practice compassion and empathy. This is the hint, hint, winky, winky from earlier because um, that's one of the th- key words that's been gripping me of late's compassion. And here's why. If we're to dissect Jesus' habits in secret, it's only fair to consider his attitude in public. For while Jesus never resisted his lifeline, dialing into the Father, he also never used it as an excuse to conceal his nature. And the application is tangible. As believers in today's world, we may have hope-building acumen. We may know how to exercise our faith. However, if we're not applying love to the equation, those behaviors are meaningless. The question is, how can one convey a relatable love when we're struggling emotionally, physically, even vocationally? I know for me, when I start to spiral, ideas of going beyond myself, going outside of myself come to mind. But even those sentiments, those bland cookie cutter, fortune cookie ideas only go so far. What does it even mean? Without Jesus, what does it even mean? The key I submit is closing yourself with compassion is backed by Colossians 3.12. And there are more solutions to this to answer the question, but this is one that is speaking to me right now, so I'm going to talk about it. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. A lot of virtue and fruits of the Spirit mixed in there. It's a unique concoction and one that is it's standing out of late. And part of it is just looking at the series, the first word in the second half of that passage in verse 12, compassion, it leads the rest of them. Like it just champions the parade. Almost as if there's intentionality behind the sequence. Perhaps the author was suggesting love at the heart should be layered most intimately with compassion. Kind of like it's the inner garment relative to the inner organ of love. Like love is the heart and I guess compassion is like the t-shirt. It's the closest layer to the actual organ itself. And then, you know, there's other layers. You know, you get down to meekness, Humility, patience, acting like the outer garments. Uh, it could be a fluff. I could be way off, but it's kind of a mental word picture I get when I read this. What I know, what I do know, is Jesus frequented the virtue. He, compassion just coded his actions, not, and even just the anticipation of those actions. Even It wasn't just an in-the-moment thing, just like his healings. Compassion was similar to those miraculous moments because there had to have been an awareness, preemptive awareness. I might need to do this. I'm just going to put myself in position to call this audible of grace if it gets to this point. Ride compassion as the pivot point. Ride compassion as the vehicle that turns, that may actually sway the agenda somewhat. But certainly, compassion as a way of being spiritually sensitive to how the Father is leading me, yes, that is how I see Jesus abiding in compassion and how I feel like we're called to do that as well. Matthew 14, these are some exhibits to this point, by the way. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. There we go, point one, in motion. Again, separate example. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Again, look at that pivot point. He was looking to withdraw. I need some quiet time with God. And very well, could have been a long day. Could have been just a lot that happened and I need to calibrate. Need to reset. But... 
it, he was like, you know what, what, that will come. What matters right now, there's some people in this large crowd that need my hand laid on them. They need to be prayed over. They need to discover who they are in me. I'm going to be in their hearts. But right now, they, before I can get there, I know that for them to accept me into their hearts, they have to feel my presence and my touch. And that's what matters. This is their time for them, for their eyes to be open. Matthew 20. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them, What do you want me to do for you? They answered, Lord, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. I really believe that Jesus knew in part of his target selection. It just wasn't so random like he spinned a bottle. But he knew those people who would follow him, who would turn not just in theory, but also from their wicked ways and just leave behind their life and come and abandon everything for his, his sake. How many names exist out there outside the ones that we know outside the household names that just, they left it all, they surrendered all. We never know. And we'll eventually get to meet those people. But I struggle being like, I have a hard time letting go of everything to follow Jesus sometimes. I'm just being honest. I want to get to that point. In some cases, I feel like I'm there. In others, I feel like I'm not. You know, it's weird. But again, conversation for another day. One more example. Mark six thirty four. when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Different take, different word picture, different illustration. So he began teaching them many things. I love that. It's like it's not just you following me. It's like let me let me pour into you some more. This is this is part one of the pouring into stretch for you. I'm going to pour in some more. This is just the beginning. So upon further review, within this post, note the contrast between Matthew fourteen. And Matthew 20, for that matter. And Mark 5, that was part of point number one. In both instances, Jesus withdrew. Yet in Matthew 14, Jesus pivoted his action on the heels of compassion. While the translations and transitions in Mark are more pronounced, in the end, Jesus stayed consistent as one who can never deny himself. After all, to answer a cry for mercy is who he is. And though many of us are rarely on the receiving end, the reality is we can follow a similar roadmap in addressing an unspoke, the unspoken needs through yielded sensitivity to the Spirit's leading. Last bottom line, and we'll call the night, Jesus took compassion as one already clothed in it and rode empathy into opportunities to heal and reveal. Let's pray. Father, we... We worship you. We thank you. We extol you. Thank you for this word. Thank you for your goodness and your grace, your sovereignty, your providence. All the little things you do for us day in and day out. We ask you to activate this message in our hearts tonight. Open our eyes like blind men. We desire to follow you. We desire for our sight to be restored, yes, but we desire to learn from you at the feet of the Master. 
many of us listening that we're going through tough times and it's just we want to be salt we don't feel like we, we feel like we've lost our saltiness we want to be our hands and feet but we're so weak we're you know really the struggle is just let alone <laughs> to be like you yes but also just to lean into it all even get to that point where it's just like you know so desperate so hungry to, I just want to be with Jesus that's what matters right now nothing else matters but to be with you and I pray that you'll if we're not there, that you'll guide us there, you'll lead us there. Do what you only you can. For some of us, we're already there. And we're holding onto your robe tightly. We're, you know, going through the crowds and the busyness of life. We're just trying so desperately to get there. It's not that our hearts aren't desperate. We're just trying to get there to you. We just feel like we're drowning in just so much that's happening you know what's going on in the world today. You know the temptations of fear and anxiety. They are constantly changing and turning and evolving. But you're a constant. And you're one who shows us new things in those valley seasons. The mountain times are sweet. But how much more do you want to teach us? How much more do you want to teach us that you are there? You are real. You are aware. You are by our side, embracing us even, going through these stretches that if they're not painful, they're just radically uncomfortable. We feel shaken, but we just need to know as we're shaking that you're still, effervescent love is just there. And so just draw us to the constants of your heart. Draw us to the constants of your nature and provide sparks of peace in our midst that will awaken faith and hope to new levels. That will truly understand what it means to love through compassion, through kindness, through humility, even when we feel like we have nothing to offer. To just rise up in those moments. It might just be a couple moments here and there, those stoccato moments where we're called to rest. In a, in, in a holy way, go beyond ourselves, but just to be sensitive to the needs of others as we hope that people are sensitive to our needs and what we're going through too. So we give you the glory and praise as we close out tonight. Awaken us, guide us, lead us, heal us. We want to see you and we want to see how you see the situation and settings that we're in. So... We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. This post is, uh, I I guess we're past the 30-minute mark, but you guys, you know the drill. Leave us a comment. Feel free to DM us, text us if you have our number. Um, There's many different ways that we'll respond, that we can connect with you guys, and we just want you to know that we're willing to come alongside you and, and be there as a support system for it any way we can. So as I always say, have an amazing day, an amazing week, and I'll catch you on the fries always. Peace.